Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, January 15, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we're going to look ahead to what should be an interesting weekend a little later on, but we're going to start with the most notable result since we last recorded. Final score, Texas Tech 79, Texas 77 inside the Frank Irwin Center. The Longhorn said, come with it now. The Red Raiders responded with a Mac McClung jumper in the final seconds of a tie game. It was the game winner. Awesome shot, which led to a hilarious post-game interview during which Mac McClung told Fran Fischella how much he respects him before bouncing to celebrate with his teammates without answering a single question. The Red Raiders are now a three-loss team. They've lost twice at home, but they just won at Texas, and it appears... Chris Beard is at it again. He has finished in the top three of the Big 12 in three straight seasons. It appears he might be on his way to doing it a fourth straight time. And his leading score is a Georgetown transfer that we didn't even put in our top 101 players list in the preseason. Dead leg, simple question. Do we owe Mac McClung an apology? No, we don't because when we did what? not put him there – because we didn't know if he was going to be eligible. That was part of it. But we also, I didn't think he was going to be a top 100 player. He's been used brilliantly here. And yes, McClung hit just a swagalicious winning shot uh, with that. Because those who watched it, and you'll recall, uh, Texas tied it. And then I think, yeah, Beard had a timeout in his pocket. He opted not to. McClung had the, he brought the ball up the floor, kind of cleared out, cleared out. This is the kind of play that can obviously backfire, but it didn't on McClung. Uh, quick crossover, stepped up, put it up. Initially thought it was a three, correctly ruled a two. And then Texas's Matt Coleman couldn't hit the shot at the buzzer. That would have won the game if it had gone in. And credit to Texas Tech for making a huge comeback and winning because through the first half of that, really through the first 25, 27 minutes of that game, Texas was in uh, big command of that game. And Andrew Jones uh, was uh, fantastic early on. But McClung had 22 points. Uh, was wonderful from the line, hit a big shot there, and there's enough here. I mean, listen, you know, Kevin McCullough isn't a big name, but he he had a wonderful game uh, against Texas with 16 points. Marcus Santos Silva is a transfer from VCU who's been wonderful, and then Kyler Edwards wasn't a standout earlier this week, but he also is an important player. That was a very significant win for Texas Tech. To me, it's a it's it's damaging maybe to Texas down the road in terms of does a loss like this prevent you from getting on the one line? We'll wait and see. It's going to have plenty of opportunities. I still think it's a top five team, but for Texas Tech, it just didn't have a parish. As someone who updates your rankings every single day, you're all too aware of this. It just did not have a win near this quality. The closest one was a respectable and good two-point victory right before Christmas at Oklahoma. That was something Texas Tech could hang its hat on, but other than that, it didn't have anything. Kansas State and Iowa State are just not going to get it done, so this was a big-time win, and this list may have seen, because uh, I mentioned on the broadcast, this was the 26th game in Texas Tech's history that it played on the road against the top five team, and it's the first time ever the Red Raiders have gotten a victory away from home against a, a club ranked in the top five of the AP poll. I appreciate you trying to cover for us, but I will not let you lie 
on this podcast as it pertains to the reasoning Mac McClung was not on the preseason list of top 101 players. As you were talking, I went and looked it up. Matt McClung was ruled eligible by the NCAA on October 30th. Our list of top 101 players published on November 11th. And we got a, we got a, we got a problem there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> got a problem. That's uh, that's my B. My, my, my B on that. You liar. But I also hey, didn't I, think I, he was going to be I, I didn't make a case for him. It's yeah. not like I was sitting there calling you an idiot on November 11th. Yeah. No. No. I No. I, that's that is surprising. I thought the timeline was different. But big on him, huge, and he's become. What's interesting is he was. You know, Georgetown. He developed a name for himself after being a you know a viral kind of prospect, kind of right. You know, kind of right behind Zion Williamson to be honest. Um, and uh, here at Texas Tech, he just he's gone to another level. And then yes, um, I had never seen anyone. I, you know, shrug off Fran Frischilla like that, or even the post game interview. Uh, but I think Frischilla got through one question, and McClung might have gotten like three words in and been like, "I can't do this, man. I got my teammates <laughs> don't want to mob me. I'll see you later. Love you, Fran." He was he was out, so that was a fun little moment there, in a in a huge win, and I think the biggest result of the week so far. He bailed on the interview in the most respectful way possible. Like it, it wasn't disrespectful. He was actually like, "Fran, I love you. You're the man." But my teammates are telling me I got to go. And everybody, it, it made for a good, funny television moment. Um, for people who don't know the history, like Norlander said, McClung was a viral sensation coming out of high school. When he enrolled at Georgetown, the Hoyas, that was the only Power Five program in the country to not have a white player average double figures in 40 years. And McClung became the first in his freshman season, averaged 13.4 points as a freshman, averaged 15.7 points last season. He's now averaging 15.8 for Texas Tech, shooting a career-high 43% from the field, career-high 33% from three, career-high 81% from the line. He's the leading scorer on a top-15 Ken Palm team. So um, off to a nice start. I, I wondered how effective, impactful he would actually be at Texas Tech uh, so far, as of January 15th, he has been incredibly impactful. Uh, he's got one of the big shots of the season, and he's got Texas Tech in a spot where they are clearly on the national radar heading into a monster game this weekend that we will get to in the final four and one. Meantime, the NCAA has announced that it will seed the NCAA tournament using an S-curve this season. Norlander, tell the folks at home what they need to know about that. Okay, so this came quicker than I thought it was going to. Um, this was announced on Friday. And, okay. <laughs> if you want me to add that that's what she said, drop to the, to the little bank here. I can do that for you. If, if you'd like if you'd like to know that's what she said, I can get it going. <laughs> um, so the S-curve uh, basically means the strongest seeds are going to play the weakest seeds. And I didn't think this was going to come so soon. In fact, I addressed a reader question in the mailbag portion of uh, the court report on Thursday and said I didn't expect this uh, until February. But here we are. We have it. And this is kind of a no-brainer. So um, think of it as an S. Uh, the number one overall seed will play, the best one seed will play the weakest two seed. And then by nature of that, the weakest two seed will then have the strongest three seed and it will snake through so that you have um, the strongest seed set up to play the weakest seeds. Now, the only exception to this, and I don't fully understand why this is the case. It really is not that huge of a deal. Uh, when the first four came to be a decade ago, the selection committee then decided that um, you would have, you know, there are two games that feature 16 seeds and two games that feature at-large teams, and it will still remain the same.
game. It will not be an S-curve in terms of the weakest 16 will play the strongest 16 going to the, f- to the first four. Instead, it will be the, the number 65 and 66 team on the overall seed list will play each other, and then the two worst teams that get automatic bids, 67 and 68, will face each other. The same thing will be true. The final two at-large teams will play in one game, and then the two others that just squeak into the first four will play each other. The one thing that you should know about this is... They're doing this because it's not geographically dominated the way it is in a normal year. Normally, the procedures are that are in place are we have a Midwest, a South, an East, and a West region. And because of that, we try and give this team seated one through four geographic benefits so they don't have to travel as far. They can bring their fans there. They can have a little bit of an advantage as a reward, not only to getting a high seed, but having a good season. We want to give them that that you know, small additional advantage where it can be applicable, but that always kind of gets mucked up in the West because we don't consistently have really good teams out West. And there's relatively speaking, there are fewer D one programs out West as opposed to in the East and the South. So that's now eliminated, but with the big 10 probably getting, I mean, as to me, it's a guarantee. It's going to be at least nine. I think there's a good chance at 10. I still think there's a shot at 11. Indiana's trying to mess that mess that up, by the way. Not a good loss Thursday night for the Hoosiers. Um, did you see the Purdue Twitter account? I did not. I act, did No, they? I didn't. What, what happened? Like, I think Purdue has now won like five straight times at Assembly so Hall it's, or something. Uh, or, okay. They've won six in a row. Archie's yet to beat Purdue. So Okay. Yeah. So so the tw- Purdue Twitter account, like, you know, the Photoshop, but it was like, it uh, feels like home and it's Assembly Hall, but it's got the Purdue logo oh at, at midcourt and the Purdue scoreboard <laughs> hanging in Assembly it's good Hall. stuff. That's that's good trolling there. I encourage it's uh like three or four years ago. Um, it feels like you know, uh, branded accounts associated with programs or professional franchises. They really were kind of like tame, and they didn't wade into that stuff. And only occasionally might it might have like something really funny or juicy, and then like the tweet would get deleted, and then there'd be some sort of apology, which was totally lame because trash talking should happen. And it's actually been refreshing to see that everyone can you know put on their big boy pants here and we can actually, you know, troll and joke and have fun with each other. It's not the end of the world. So the fact that they did that, I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, Indiana fans are probably having a little bit of a rough go of it right now, though. Uh, That was definitely not a good. Oh, yeah. Fire. Hashtag fire. Archie was retweeted into my mentions earlier today. Yeah, that's that's not good. Um, in fact, just real quick, let's just let's just diverge off this real quick because because Indiana was supposed to play Michigan State on Sunday. That game's not happening. It was going to be the CBS game. That game's getting postponed because of Michigan State. Um, they're eight and six. That was the other Thursday was Thursday was a garbage night. I mean, Gonzaga was kind of got competitive with Pepperdine, whatever, and then uh, BYU was able to get Saint, beat St. Mary's on the road. That's a nice win. But Indiana Purdue was really the only game of like true relevance and note and. Um, yeah, this is getting to a point here. Uh, eight and six has yet to beat Purdue since he was hired. And, you know, they've got plenty of opportunities to still get themselves back into the NCAA tournament picture and all that. But we really, you know, let's just spend two or three minutes and then I'll wrap up the, the S-curve thing. I, we should mention this. Th- this was a game Indiana should have won. It didn't. And I am... I am understanding the plight of the IU fan. And I think some of these people were kind of pushing this a year ago and you and I both kind of pushed back on it. But now I don't think Archie Miller is going to be fired this year. I just don't think that's going to happen. You have to have a total implosion. I don't expect that. But um, yes, that fan base is, I think it's a compilation of just general frustration at the end of the Tom Crean era and then thinking that Archie Miller was going to be able to truly get this program back to the level where it was like, 
okay, give them a year, maybe two, and then Indiana's top three in the league every single year. That's where our expectation should be, and he hasn't been able to do it, Gary. Uh, they, that loss to Purdue was the third time this season that Indiana has lost as a favorite, according to odds makers. So, they, you know, it's one thing if you don't win the games you're not supposed to win, but you need to, especially in a league like the Big Ten, you need to win the games you're supposed to win, and they have not done that three times this season already. Yeah, that's it's troubling. Uh, their next scheduled game is Thursday of next week at Iowa. Tough one. If they can win it, that's the kind of win where it's like, I mean, almost as good of a win as you could possibly have. But if they lose it, they're at 8-7, and seven, then a hungry Rutgers team after that, then at Michigan. So we'll get more into the Hoosiers you know, next week, but I, that loss was certainly notable enough. Having said all of that, looping back in here, I think that the Big Ten is going to get probably 10 into the field. And because of that, with the bracketing principles that are still going to be in place, you won't have a true S-curve bracket because um, here are where the tweaks will be made accordingly and how teams are bracketed. I'll be real quick here. Are the five bullet points the NCAA reminded us when it's released on Friday. Each of the top four teams selected from a conference have to be in different regions if they're placed on the top four seed lines. Number two, teams from the same conference can't meet before the Elite Eight if they played each other at least Three times during the season, that would include conference tournament matchups. Number three, teams from the same league can't meet before the Sweet 16 if they played each other at least twice during the regular season, also includes if they met in the conference tournament. Number four, teams from the same league can play each other as early as the second round if they only played once during the regular season, that includes the conference tournament. And then number five, if it's possible... You want to avoid any kind of rematch in a non-conference setting in the first round or the first four, if possible. That's almost always possible. So that's all to say that the Big Ten's going to, if it gets 10 teams in, having a bracketing situation where two of those teams avoid meeting each other before the Sweet 16 is probably going to be close to not doable, but it's not the end of the world. This is the way it should be done. It gives you the most balanced bracket in the eyes of how the committee will seed and select the teams as opposed to every single year, uh, the West, the rest region is never guaranteed to be the toughest region because you always have Gonzaga in there and then you might have a San Diego State or an Arizona or whatever. There's like one or two or th- two teams out West that are good, but usually then either the three seed or the four seed is kind of shoehorned in there because they have to. They're a high seed. They got to be put somewhere, but unfortunately they got to hop on the bird and fly 300, 600, 900 miles. That's not going to be the case. Everything's in Indiana and everyone's going to be bracketed evenly. So this was uh, an expected piece of news that came a little bit earlier and should give us uh, a pretty balanced and fair bracket. I understand why they let geography in a normal year dictate the bracket. Like I understand the logic behind it. I just don't like it. I would always prefer an S curve. Think of the college football playoff. We don't say, well, one's going to play three in the semifinals because, um, you know, of geography. We say, what are the four best teams? Rank them in order. Okay, one plays four, two plays three. And, in the, the, you know, in, in the NBA playoffs, you know, we say one plays eight, two plays seven. We don't start mixing it up for geography. It is, it is, and I don't have a specific example in mind, but I remember basically every year being bothered, aggravated by the bracket is released and it's like in the Kansas Jayhawks are the number one overall seed. And then the two seed in their, in their region is like the, the second best two seed. I'm like, well, that's not fair. What, what is the reward for being the number one overall seed? You should play the worst two seed if the bracket goes to form all the way to the elite eight. And so, you know, with keeping bracketing, bracketing principles in mind, that is the way 
it's supposed to go this season. So, um, you know, that, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. If you're the number one overall seed, you should be paired with the worst two seed. Um, this is this is the proper and most fair way to do it. I would generally agree with you. Um, also, because the bracket is the bracket, and we love it for this, uh, the one playing the two, it's just not, it, it doesn't even happen 50% of the time in a given region. And so... Um, so those concerns, while valid, they just don't surface as much as sometimes people might think. But I like this. I don't think they'll stick with it. Once they go back to the regular tournament, I still think they're going to try and afford teams uh, to travel as, as little as possible to help them get more fans in the building for that first weekend just to give them that benefit there. And I have have heard uh, from coaches who are kind of a, of a split mind on this because um, they kind of like not having to travel as far. Uh, and getting more of their people in the building. So uh, an example of this would be, let's say, like, Gonzaga's the one, and then if it's the best one, it'll have the weakest two. But if that two, or, or if that two happened to be, the weakest two happened to be, uh, I don't know, like a San Diego State or an Arizona or whatever, um, in the West region, and then you had another two that was, you know, Michigan or whatever, Michigan flying to... San Jose to play or, you know, to be in that region uh, as, a, as a two seed if it was the weakest, is that really, is that right to do to Michigan? I'm not saying it shouldn't be done. It's an interesting debate. I think they're going to go back to the way they were. That's all. The, the thing that I would like to avoid, like just hypothetical real quick, uh, Gonzaga is a one seed and in some year, San Diego State is slotted as the best number two seed. They're the, they're, they're fifth in the country. Right. According to, according to the, um, uh, the committee, yeah. and they're the the strongest two seed, and they say, "Well, San Diego State will just be the two seed in the West." And Gonzaga's I, I the strongest one seed in your scenario here. Yeah, and Gonzaga's the strongest one seed in my scenario. I think that's wrong. I understand why they do it. Mm-hmm. I just wish they wouldn't do it that way. If you're the number one overall seed, you should get the worst two seed. Geography be damned. I agree with you. We'll get to the final four and one next, but first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Before we get to the final four and one, let me remind you that every weekend CBS is bringing you some of the biggest games from some of the best conferences in the nation. And this weekend on Saturday, there's a good one. San Diego State at Utah State. The Aggies are on a nine-game winning streak. Beat San Diego State by double digits Thursday night. Tip for this one, it's Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can stream the game for free on the CBS Sports mobile app or at cbssports.com. The road to the Final Four is underway, and you can catch games every weekend on CBS America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Norlander, what's our Final Four and one records? Um, I had a good week last week. I, I, I nudged ahead of you. I'm 12 and 12. You're 11 oh, and 13. No. We lost, You're only one game behind. We lost Clemson versus UNC, and then uh, I got ahead of you because I told you uh, Maryland was going to cover against Illinois, and you uh, you said there was no shot of that. There was a shot. Maryland wound <laughs> up winning, and so here we are. What do you got this week on what is unfortunately 
going to be a lighter slate than expected. I mentioned the Indiana-Michigan State games off, and then right before we started podcasting here on Friday afternoon, I had a sources confirm to me that Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, the Bedlam game, is also not going to take place as expected. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder to everyone listening this on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Saturday morning, uh, we're doing this with kind of the half expectation that one of these games is going to wind up getting postponed anyway because you'll have testing that comes in late Friday night. So we have no control over that. We're going to go with what's scheduled as of right now to be played, and let's hope that all of them wind up getting played. Wouldn't it be something if we did actually have control over it, though? Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. That we... would that would be some kind of power <laughs> okay. move. Saturday, noon Eastern, number 21, Ohio State, at number 14, Illinois, inside the D. Brown Center. You can watch it on Fox, Illinois minus five. So we sent in our picks for CBS. Uh, this is funny. We sent in, shortly before we did this pod, we sent in our picks to our editor uh, for this, and... What I don't want to do is, is is pick differently on the podcast versus what I got on the site. I think I took Illinois to win and cover here because I thought long and hard about it. So give me – I picked against the Fighting Illini last week. I'm going to pick in favor of them this week. I like them here, and I like them to win somewhat comfortably. I would like the record to show that there will absolutely be a time where I pick differently for the website than I do on the podcast, and that's because I don't think about this stuff too much. I just try to find some trivia times to insert where I can. Um, Ohio State loses C.J. Walker, then they bounce back, beat Rutgers, beat Northwestern. They're now up to number eight in offensive efficiency. And, of course, Illinois, like Norlanda said, coming off last Sunday's loss to Maryland. Ayo DeSumo, though. He has scored at least 12 points in every game this season, scored at least 33 times. He's now averaging 22.4 points, 6.8 rebounds, and shooting, this is the important thing for his NBA future, a career-high 42.2% from three. I'll take Illinois to win, but um, I'll, I'll trust Ohio State to cover the five. So give me the Buckeyes plus the points. And if it contradicts what you read at CBSSports.com, I just explained to you. It's going to happen sometimes. All right, fair enough. What do we got next? Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, number two Baylor at number 15 Texas Tech inside Pat Knight Arena. You can watch it on ESPN, Baylor minus four. This one I did remember. I'm going, uh, I, you know what, I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to have to dig up a straight up button here uh, for, for GP from back in the day or something. Um, I'm going Red Raiders straight up here to Ooh. beat, to be, I know, I know. This is... I think I'm most intrigued by Ohio State at Illinois because I got a feeling that could be a really good one. The clear game of the weekend is this. This is Baylor at Texas Tech. Bears on the road. Red Raiders coming off that huge win there. And why not? I I can see him. I know you agree. You could see him winning like just like I could. Baylor enters this game uh, having last played uh, against TCU. Dominant road win uh, last Saturday. Number four offense. Number three defense. I expect it to be good. I, I will say, if if Baylor goes in after Texas Tech did what it did, and pulls away with a 15 point road win, then it will it, it will be a significant statement to reminding anyone who's only casually following college basketball that the Bears uh, certainly are sitting right there at the table with Gonzaga. But I don't think that's where we're going to be. I think we are going to be talking on Sunday night about Texas Tech having won at home ended Baylor's undefeated run here and then thrown the the Big 12 race into a little bit of chaos. That is disrespectful to the first lady of Baylor basketball, Kelly Drew. That's also <laughs> also to the Drew children, McKenzie, Peyton, and Brody. It's actually also disrespectful to Homer Drew and also disrespectful to Bryce Drew. I don't think Bryce cares, but yeah, everyone else I agree with. 
Baylor is 11-0 with 11 double-digit wins. They have kind of been out of sight, out of mind. I've mentioned this before. They haven't played a ranked team since December 2nd when they beat Illinois by 13. Um, Kyle Boone, our colleague, did suggest earlier this week that Baylor would be the next undefeated team to lose. Kyle Porter went with Colin Morikawa. Um, I'm, I'm laying the points with, with Baylor. Number three in defensive efficiency. Uh, Texas Tech is fifth in defensive efficiency, by the way, so 70 points might be enough to win this game. Plus, Texas Tech's already lost twice at home. It's not like they're unbeatable there. You are you are falling prey to recency bias to what you just saw, whereas I am looking big picture, and I'm laying points with Scott Drew's Bears, used to be Bill Henderson's Bears. Okay, what do we got? Game three, here we go. Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern, number 18, Virginia at number 12, Clemson inside Oliver Purnell Coliseum. You can watch it on ESPN, Clemson minus two. Defensive matchup here. How about Virginia? Currently ranked 13th in defensive efficiency at this moment as we record the podcast here. That is the worst Virginia has been since the 2012-2013 season when it finished 25th in the nation. Um, I would expect UVA to to turn this around. Tony Bennett's had basically a top five defense every single season since then. Um, Clemson is, in this matchup, the number one defense, not in the game, in the country right now. The best defense at Ken Palm are the Clemson Tigers. Amir Sims, uh, certainly one of the top 10 power forwards in America at this point. I'm going to take... I'm going to take the home team here. To win and to cover, two points is enough for me. It will be low scoring. There's a definite chance this is like a 53-50 final, but I will I'll take the Tigers in a way where they they eke it out. Like I think they'll win by 3 points and in doing so get to 10 and, get to 10 and 1 and continue to keep Virginia out of Jerry Palm's bracketology. Dude has our guy has not put the Cavs in a bracket yet this season, and if Clemson wins here, he's not going to be doing it on the next one either. Oliver Purnell, my all-time favorite college basketball coach i named my middle son after him spent 27 years as a division one head coach made tens of millions of dollars never won an ncaa tournament game oh and six in the ncaa tournament stayed employed for 27 years most famously started 17 and 0 2006 2007 season missed the ncaa tournament went four and ten the rest of the way shouts to op um i'll take virginia you know virginia is been like the, the last time anybody really paid attention to them because they played you know unranked teams ever since they got pounded by Gonzaga like that's the last thing anybody really remembers but they've won each game since then I'm gonna trust Tony Bennett to somehow go on the road and win this game I'll take Virginia straight sounds lovely game four let's go Saturday Number 16, Louisville at Miami inside the Shane Larkin Center. You can watch it on ACC Network, Louisville minus three. Yeah, I'm going to go Miami to win and Miami with a straight up victory here. Hurricanes certainly well off the radar this season um, with, you know, with some legitimacy with all that they haven't played. Uh, a ton, eleven games here. Haven't won a lot. They're five and six, and they don't. They have a win over Purdue, and that's about it in terms of notable wins. Better I, Indiana. Can't deny that. Um, I just, I don't know. They got the game at home here. Louisville has been good, and it's. You wrote about them on the in the top twenty-five and one. Uh, I think for Thursday, and uh, and rightfully so. They've they've entered into the conversation, but I'll. I think there's going to be something of a funky result here on Saturday. So this will be my pick. I got the Canes winning and covering. Shane Larkin is the only Miami player ever to win ACC Player of the Year. He was co-player of the year in 2013. 
trivia time. Who was the other co-player of the year in 2013? ACC? Yes. Um, totally vamping. I'm going to say Jabari Parker. Do you even remember Eric Green? <laughs> yeah, Virginia Tech. He was ACC Player of the Year, voted on by the media? Absolutely a baller. <laughs> he played for a Virginia Tech team that finished 4-14 four and 14 in the ACC. My man how do you? How are you ACC Player of the Year with Shane Larkin when your team goes 4-14? Four and 14? He, was, he was filling it up. That Miami team was a two-seed, by the way. But, yeah. That's the, I saw that last night. I got so mad at the media for voting somebody from a 4-14 four and 14 team, ACC Player of the Year. Trivia time. Oh, boy. All right. Who is the only other ACC Player of the Year to play for a team with a losing record? No. In idea. the league. In the league. Completely lost. It's only happened twice. Eric Green has won, and there's another time. I, I mean, I couldn't even begin to guess. I don't know. Then, that, then that's going to be a failure on your it part is. in trivia time. The correct answer would be... Lynn Bias in oh. 1986. Maryland went 6-8 and eight in the ACC that season. He was ACC Player of the Year, then drafted second in the draft by the Celtics on June 17th. And he, of course, died two days later, which is one of the all-time tragic college basketball stories. Louisville, you're right. I did write about him. They lost the top five scores from last season's team. They did not enroll their best prospect, Jay Scrub, went ahead and entered the NBA draft, and yet they're still sitting here 9-1, and one, only loss at Wisconsin, and in that game, they were without their leading scorer, Carlick Jones. Um, it's impressive stuff from Chris Mack and his staff. Meantime, at Miami, they played, as you noted, 11 games. Four of Miami's top five scorers have missed at least four of those games. Like Chris Likes has only played twice um, and hasn't played since December 4th. Cameron McGusty has only played five times and hasn't played since January 2nd. I'll take Louisville to win on the road inside the Shane Larkin Center. All right. We got a podcast first. I'm wrapping up. My wife is literally staring at me waiting to do her own conference call here. So we have one last game to know about. Iowa at Northwestern on CBS. It's a noon tip. It's replaced the Indiana-Michigan State tip. Northwestern is at home, but it's an eight-point dog. It's lost four straight games. Big-time spot for it to get back on the right track. Who are you taking? I got to lay points with Iowa. I can't trust Northwestern at this point. I mean, they've lost four straight games. I can't trust the Wildcats anymore. I'm with you here. I just don't see – I just don't have any sort of reason to believe in Northwestern at this point. Um, Not that it can't win. It would be a significant win if it could get it done, but – there's just no real reason to pick the Wildcats in this kind of spot. Hawkeyes get it done, and doing so, improve to 12-2 and two overall, 6-1 and one in the Big Ten, and kind of try and keep pace there best they can with Michigan. Yeah, it's uh, for Northwestern, four straight losses, all by double digits. Iowa's already beaten them by 15 points. I would suspect that they can get this one done by double digits as well. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the... Whoo boy. Dumbest pandemic I ever been a part of. I ain't never seen one like this, dead leg. This has been ridiculous, but... You know, hopefully it'll it'll be over at some point in 2021. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, leave a nice review. We might get to it on Sunday night. And like I said, we will talk to you for sure on Sunday night. Have a good weekend. Till then, take care.